welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So I am just super excited uh, for this morning and you guys to have an opportunity to hear from Lane. Lane is our intern from Bethel Seminary uh, and has become a dear brother and loved one. So would you please give it up for Mr. Lane. All right. Good morning. Can you hear me? So I'm going to talk about hope today. Um, First, I'm going to talk about the creative process. Um, I'm a writer. I don't write as much as I wish I, that I did. But um, right now, I'm in school, so I, write, I write, a write, write a lot of essays and papers. Sometimes I talk, too. Um, <laughs> and I really like to be creative in that, sometimes fiction, sometimes creative nonfiction. But I think we have a lot of artists in this room. And you probably have something similar to me, where sometimes you'll make something, and you'll make it look really good. And then life comes along, and like just a giant seagull takes a dump on what you just made, <laughs> and you realize that it isn't beautiful anymore, which is okay, because according to Ernest Hemingway, the first draft of anything is, well, I can't say what he says, because Ernest Hemingway has an awful mouth, but it's not good. Uh, so there are times when you realize in the creative process that something can be true one day and not true the next day, the antithesis of true. Now, I am a Myers-Briggs P. If you don't know the Myers-Briggs, it's a, it's a personality indicator. And a P means like you don't want a schedule. You just go at life. You just, if you are in a structured environment, it drives you nuts. So when the giant seagull came and took a dump on my artwork, my sermon, I was like, all right, I get to make a new one. And so that's what this is, my new artwork free of giant seagull poop. Um, but I also think that hope, uh, when we talk about hope, that a very similar process takes over. Because what can be a very hopeful statement at one time can also be a giant seagull taking a poop at another time. I mean, OK, so a lot of us have probably had some pretty bad things happen in life. Uh, relationships fall apart, you lose your job. Uh, a loved one hurts you, or you lose a loved one. and in this, a lot of you have probably heard, if you've been around the church, that don't worry, this is all part of God's plan, or there's a reason that God did this. And I submit to you today that that's fine when you're not in a crisis, but when things fall apart, that's absolutely, completely the worst thing that you could ever hear. Consensus is that if this is God's plan, then God's plan sucks. I, have, I don't want anything to do with God's plan, and I don't want anything to do with that God. I spend a lot of time talking to people who aren't Christians, and one of the most frustrating things for me is that when I talk to them, agnostics, atheists, Buddhists, Jews, Muslims, whatever, that their objections to the God of the Bible almost never have anything to do with the God of the Bible. It's almost always, always having to do with bad theology. It's almost always having to do with the image that we 
as Christians portray to them that is not actually biblical or healthy. Sometimes I talk to Christians and I think, and I, I literally get sick to my stomach because I hear what they say about God. And I think this is the God you love. This is the God that loves you. And this is love. Because I don't know who wants to be a part of that. I don't, want, I don't know who wants to be a part of that tribe. And I don't know if God wants a tribe like that. I'm talking about Christians, not, non, not non-Christians. So, if your, hope, if your hope is that a God, that there's a God who has a plan for your life to make you happy and successful, then this sermon is going to be rough. Because most, one of the most important aspects of the biblical concept of hope is that it's rooted in reality. If God wants you to be rich, successful, and happy, then God wants everyone to be rich, successful, and happy, And that's not going to happen, at least not anytime soon. If you believe that everything will be okay because, quite simply, you can do nothing to change it but God will, then you're not putting your, your hope in the God of the Bible, but something else, an image, a concept that has been created in your mind through culture, through years of Christianity, going down a path that's not quite right. And if any of you have read my blog, you know where I'm going with this. We need to kill that God, that concept, because it's not God, it's a concept. That said, I'm going to make a statement that some people in this room will be angry with. It will disturb others, and others will love. If our hope isn't a God who plans evil, and I don't just mean theoretical evil, but the kind of evil we hear about when we talk about Nazi Germany and concentration camps, when we talk about African genocide, When we talk about evil that makes a man sick, if your hope isn't a God who plans that evil, then we might as well pack up, go home, and give up. Because I don't want to be a part of that. That kind of God is actually counter to what's happening in Jesus. Came among our midst and worked against what seemed to be the established way of doing things. The God of the Bible, the God of the Bible is one that gives us the strength to stand up against oppression. The God of the Bible gives us the strength to stand up against what seems to be destiny. Abraham did it. Moses did it. The prophets did it. One of the most important concepts of following God in the Old Testament was that you were allowed to rail against the divine. You were allowed to challenge God and say, is this really what you want for us? And I think in doing that, we get way closer to what God actually wants than when we just sit there and we live with our cultural concept of what it means to follow God. We are mandated to stand up against not just forces in this world, but forces in the heavenly realm that keep us from grace, peace, and hope in this world. We need to be very careful not to allow our image of God to be a psychological immunity to the pain of the world and even simply living life. Peter Rollins, a madman postmodern philosopher from Ireland who... Because I'm a research assistant, I've had to read all five of his books in the last two weeks. Uh, So he's on my mind a lot. Um, He says this, By confusing such beliefs with the truth of faith, we can begin to hold them in such an absolute and unreasonable way that that they effectively become crutches that stop us from facing up to the uncertainties of existence. 
Uncertainties, doubts, and suffering are part of life, and thus they are part of faith, which is not an escape from life, but means of entering more fully into it. The truth of faith doesn't protect us from the unknowing and suffering of mere mortals. Rather, it provides a means of living with the unknowing and suffering. The first and possibly most important aspect of hope is that it is fundamentally and necessarily rooted in reality. Reality is an unknown and a known. We simultaneously experience life and don't fully comprehend it. We, ex we experience life as good and bad, as beautiful but not quite right. We need to be planted in what's real and not skirted around the truth. We need to know that bad things are going to happen. We need to be aware that material abundance seems like a good thing, but material abundance or superabundance as we experience in places, some places in America leads to a deprivation in other parts of the world, even parts of our own country, parts of our own county, parts of our own city. Speaking of, join the garden team, come to Second Harvest, <laughs> boom, there you go. Um, more importantly, Recognize the way your current lifestyle disrupts shalom and harmony in the world and seek to change it. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to say, please don't hear me as preaching to you. Hear me as sharing a struggle that I've been going through for a while now. What it means to live in this world as a follower of Christ and actually do what he tells us. If you're upset, if you're disturbed by what I'm saying, please come and talk to me after in a respectful discourse. <laughs> because I think this should be a conversation. I think this is a, a, a conversation that we should all be having um, with each other. And, and as I'm up here, when Mike is up here, when, when Ben's up here, uh, it's always something that you can, you can, you can talk back to us. Um, not right now, because that would throw me for a loop, but later on. <laughs> Seeing the world as it is, in seeing the world as it is, you must also let faith run wild. Because faith is a necessary ingredient for hope, just as hope is an intricate part of faith. And faith running wild leads to hope, leads to hope and it leads to movie scenes like the one we're about to watch. Hey, look who's here. Nice girl. Play something good, huh? Hank Williams or something? They broke the door down before I could take requests. Was it worth it? <laughs> Two weeks in the hall? Easiest time I ever did. Oh, sh. There's no such thing as easy time in the hall. That's right. A week in the hall is like a year. Damn straight. I'm Mr. Mozart to keep me company. <laughs> so they let you tote that record player down there, huh? He's in here. In here. That's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? Well, I played the main harmonica as a younger man. Lost interest in it, though. Didn't make much sense in here. Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget? Forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's a, there's something inside that they can't get to, that they, they can't touch. It's yours. 
talking about? Hope. Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. Like Brooks did. So in the next scene, you see Morgan Freeman's character uh, out of prison, and he's reading a letter from the other from the other character, and basically telling him that hope, hope is a dangerous thing, but hope is a good thing and maybe the best of things. Hope is a good thing. Hope is the best of things. Hope is the thing that they can't take away from you. Hope gives one courage to leave their prison, whatever it may be, and live life to the fullest. Never, ever let anyone take your hope from you. But give hope away as often as you can. Because hope can be taken if you let it be taken. And if it's taken from you, it disappears. But if you give it away, it simply multiplies. It gets bigger. It's like the mustard seed that Jesus talks about that just grows everywhere. Another interesting thing about hope, though, is that one is usually more aware of its lack than its abundance, and it's usually most visibly present when it shouldn't be there. Hope is the vehicle by which one can change their circumstances, or to be more theologically correct, hope is the vehicle by which we can participate with God in changing our circumstances. Hope keeps a woman moving even in the darkest places, and hope makes a man insane until he does something about it. I think it's sometimes best to hear about hope from those who are pushed and needing it the most. Enter a Native American elder named Dan. One of my housemates had me read this book um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's this conversation between this man who goes to a Native reservation and one of the elders, and it had a profound impact on me. So this is Dan talking about the massacre at Wounded Knee and the killing of Sitting Bull, both of which, and the history books are never going to tell you this, so listen up, both of which were caused because the Native American people started following Jesus. I have a sermon that will go on my blog soon, a video, explaining more of that if you want to check that out. Um, Plugging everywhere. Okay, so these are Dan's words. The Indian people were looking for Jesus. Maybe he had a new name, but it was still Jesus. The people got excited because they loved Jesus and they wanted to welcome him better than we, when he had come to the white people. The people were so excited. They never believed the Great Spirit had abandoned them to be starved and killed by white people who were coming into the land. They wanted Jesus to come help them. They, they were just believing like the white people had taught them. But the government got angry. They had killed us because we wouldn't believe in Jesus. Now they were going to kill us because we did. All the women, all the people so full of hope, believing what the white man said even more than the white man believed it. But the government got angry. The Indians had hope. If you have hope, you come alive again. We had all become dead in our hearts. When the government saw us coming alive again, it had to kill us. We couldn't have hope. If we had hope, we might have dreams. We could not be allowed to have dreams. Our people kept dancing. 
They wouldn't stop. They just got in a circle and they danced until they couldn't stand. Sometimes they had visions. It was walking. It was holy. The spirit was very close. The white people were going crazy. Everything was wrong. The Indians had been broken. Now our spirits were rising. We'd been cut apart and put on separate lands. Now we were together again in the dance. We were making Jesus our own. We were bringing him into our hearts. What was so wrong with that? The only thing you ever gave us was Jesus, and when we took him and made him one of our own, you said we couldn't have him anymore. You won't even let us have hope. There were no armies to free us, no government to help us. We cry out and nobody hears. We starve and nobody cares. All we have left is hope. But if you see hope, you kill that too. We believe too much. We love Jesus too much. We made him our leader. You didn't want him to be our leader. When we went to see if he was coming back, you killed us. All the women, all the children, so much hope, dead, all dead. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope is a declaration that this is not the end. The, things, the way things are now will not always be. As was spoken to the kingdom of Israel, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the, the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. Hope was filling the Native American people. Hope was telling them that God was on their side and the Christians who should have been standing with God and agreeing that God hadn't forgotten. They were instead killing the Native Americans because their Jesus looked different and was telling them that, this, that, that God was not on the side of the oppressors. Following God is an interesting endeavor because as far as you're oppressed, God is on your side saying, get yours. But, and this is where things, especially in Christianity today, have gone so wrong. As soon as you're restored and given freedom from, from oppression, God becomes not your rescuer, but your partner in rescuing others and giving hope to others, speaking hope into others' lives. And of course, being oppressed and being an oppressor are not black and white like this, but if we were to get into that, this sermon would be like three days long. So, if we miss this critical change, we're setting ourselves up against the kingdom of God. It's the most insidious of lies that God would ever want anyone to be blessed with abundance while others are not. It was the sin of the white settlers on, upon America, and it's our sin today. And I know people get uncomfortable when you talk about sin, but we got to do it. This truth will always be true. God is on the side of the oppressed. God will always be with the brokenhearted. God will always be with those who are working for the establishment of shalom in the world. Faith runs, run wild leads to hope that beats against the drum of the world. And like we heard from Ben two weeks ago, like Orpheus playing his harp louder than the sirens, a few, like we heard from Ben about Orpheus playing his harp louder than the sirens, the drum of hope will pound longer and with more fervor than the drums of death. If there's anything we've heard from the great novels, the great children's novels of the last 60 years, it's that, it's that there's a deeper magic in living for hope than living for your own success, your own power. Gandalf beat Sauron. Aslan beat the great white witch. And Harry Potter beat Dumbledore. <laughs> now, obviously, these stories aren't true, but I think they're, they're really picking up on something. 
One of my favorite episodes of 30 Rock involves seeing what the world looks like through each of the characters. 30 Rock is a spoof on an NBC show by NBC about a television show's production team. Okay, so through the eyes of Tracy Jordan, the star of the show, the self-involved star, everyone looks exactly like him. So it'd be like me looking out at you guys and seeing me looking back. Through the eyes of Jack Donahue, the world is seen in dollar amounts. 75, 57, 121. And through, this is my favorite one, through the eyes of the eternally optimistic and joyful, but way too old to be page boy, Kenneth Parcell, the world is seen as cheerful Muppets. I think we can see the world in different ways. I think we all see the world in different ways. I remember seeing the island for the first time. And I'm not going to get into what the island is about, but I was talking with a friend afterwards. And we were talking about the main theme of the movie. And I said that it was a critique of living within an established system, believing whatever was told to you, mainly a warning against listening to the mainstream media, religious institutions, and government. I was a little radical. My friend said that it was a warning about living outside of yourselves, using technology in the wrong way, and a warning not to go outside of what our authorities tell you. Two very different themes from the same movie, completely mutually exclusive, can have nothing to do with each other, same movie. I was, of course, right. That's off topic. (laughs) Just as we can see movies differently, we can see the world differently. And hope, hope is seeing the world as it could be because the world can be seen in many different ways. Hope is seeing the world in a light that says this is not the end. This can be changed. This can be transformed. The world doesn't have to look like this. This is not the end. That madman from Ireland that I talked about earlier, I told you he's on my mind, Peter Rollins tells this parable. And he tells this parable about, that a friend had written as he left church. Not as he left a Sunday morning gathering, but as he left church because he couldn't take it anymore. Forgive me if I slip into an Irish accent, but I watched this video about once a day. It's become an image of hope for me. If you guys don't have an image of hope, I encourage you to look for one. Think about things that when you, when you hear them, they give you hope. And hold on to that. Keep it in your mind. And if you need help doing that, I would love to sit down with you and try and figure out an image of hope. So this is my image. It goes like this. I dreamt I had died. And I went to heaven, and St. Peter was there at the pearly gates. And he said, oh, welcome in. There was the Irish accent. (laughs) I was about to step into heaven when I realized some of my friends were there. Some of them were Buddhists, some were atheists, some were God knows what. And I said to St. Peter, what about my friends? And Peter said, oh, you know the rules. They made their choice. So I looked around again, and I was about to step into heaven, but then I thought about my reference point. Jesus, the outsider, the drunkard, the glutton. Jesus, the bastard, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the one who would stay with those who were left behind. And I said to St. Peter, you know what? I think I'll stay outside with them. 
And St. Peter looked at me and he said, you finally get it. Our hope as Christians, as followers of the one who forsook heaven, should never be in our own salvation, fame, or prosperity. Our hope should always be for those who are pushed to the outside, for those who are being marginalized, for those who are being forgotten. The resurrection is a historical event that grounds our hope. If the resurrection didn't happen, the Christian has no hope. Rollins goes on from that parable to talk about how he was once asked if he denies the resurrection. And he said, and I say it as well, that everyone who knows me knows I deny the resurrection. My small group knows it. My family knows it. Micah and Ben know it. Because I deny the resurrection every time I ignore the pains of the world. Every time I sit comfortably and indulge myself, I deny the resurrection every time I participate in an unjust system. But I affirm the resurrection on those occasions when I stand up for those who can't stand for themselves, when I speak for those without a voice, when I weep tears for those who have no tears left to weep. I affirm the resurrection when I take part in dismantling the unjust system that I am a part of and that I benefit from. Hope is affirming the resurrection all around you. Even after you've denied it, especially after you've denied it. Going back to St. Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times in the courtyard following a meeting with Jesus where he said, I will never leave you. Jesus dies. The disciples disperse. And then on a beach, catching fish, Peter and Jesus have a conversation. Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Simon said. And Jesus said back to him, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because this was the third time he had asked him, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And saying to Peter, feed my sheep, Jesus is saying, I believe in you. I know you messed up. I know you denied me three times, but I believe in you. You denied me three times. I tell you three times, feed my sheep. If you deny me once more, I'll tell you a fourth time, feed my sheep. There's this great scene in the movie Braveheart. Braveheart is my comfort movie. If I'm ever feeling down, I watch Braveheart, which maybe says something about me. But William Wallace, the confident and passionate hero of the movie, is talking to Robert the Bruce, who's the eventual, he's the only viable eventual king of Scotland. But he's also a character that's lacking conviction and belief in himself. 
And Wallace says to him, even after Bruce has abstained from helping him fight the English multiple times, after he's lied to him multiple times, now our people know you. Noble and common, they respect you. And if you would just lead them to freedom, they would follow. And so would I. Wallace is telling the Bruce that he believes in him. The only thing that is missing is the Bruce believing in himself. And I'm not sure why all of my examples are coming from the United Kingdom, but whatever. Uh, Wallace is telling him that he believes in him. The Bruce needs to believe in himself. I'm going to tell you the end of the movie. It's been out for like 15 years, so if you haven't seen it yet, sorry. The end of the movie, William Wallace is killed. He's tortured. His limbs are sent to all parts of Scotland, saying to anyone who would take his place, this is what will happen to you. In the last scene, Robert the Bruce is leading the farmers of Scotland against the armies of England because Wallace said, I believe in you. And they charge in, and they take their lands back. Jesus is saying to Peter, who has forsaken the very person he said he would never leave, Peter, who is wallowing in, in self-pity self and despair, Jesus tells Peter that he believes in him, that Peter needs to believe in himself because one day Jesus is going to be gone again. And Peter is the rock that Jesus said he's going to build his church on. Jesus is telling Peter that I need you to lead my, my revolution of peace and hope against the world against the empire. There's hope even as we mess up, even as we deny the resurrection, that Jesus still says to us, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. I'm the shepherd who's bringing hope to Israel. Step in my place, bring hope, not just in speech, but sight. Bring sight to the blind, make the deaf hear. Proclaim freedom to the oppressed. Proclaim good news to the, to the poor. Feed my sheep. And just as Jesus said to Peter, he says it to us today, us who so often deny the resurrection. And so we should be saying to others, I believe in you. I believe in you because God believes in you. He's even now ready to restore you, even now as you deny him, to make you ready to feed his sheep. Because like it or not, God has put his hope in us. God has put his hope in the church, followers of Christ, human beings, to be the ones who bring hope to the world, to restore his shalom. Ben and the band can come back up as I finish up. Hope is an active, a dynamic, a dangerous thing. But hope, if it's anything, has nothing to do with wishful thinking or passive waiting upon God. As St. Francis says, Hope sows where there is despair. May we let hope be sown in our own hearts that we may sow hope upon the paths that we walk, but more importantly, that we may sow hope on the paths of our enemies and on the paths of, that we would, of those that we would otherwise forget. Find us online at www at erectingcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakening community.
Or put off my wisdom community. See you next time.